Aaron Rodgers was 24 and five versus the Chicago Bears, but he's now out of the division. Do the cocaine Bears have a shot? Justin Fields is one of the most popular MVP bets in the market, romancing betters with his highlight reel plays. Does adding a legit wide receiver one help him live up to some of those wildly negative EV MVP odds? And the Lions restored the roar at least on offense. Can they do it again in 2023 with Jared Goff still at quarterback? We're looking for alpha in the NFC North. Let's hit the opening bell. The first preseason game has kicked off. It's a barn burner, 16 to seven. And the clock is ticking. Week one is coming closer and closer. Welcome to Alphabets. I'm Deep Value Better along with Judah Fortgang at Throw the Damn Ball. And our guest this week, an equally avid live better and NFC North homer of the Purple Orient, Ben Brown from PFF. So good to have you, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett, Judah. I mean, I listen to you guys' stuff all the time, read all the articles and everything else. You know, Judah, quite frequently discussions with him all the time. So it's definitely a pleasure of mine to finally be on the show and be able to go back and forth with you guys because I don't know if there's two people I would respect more from a betting synopsis, especially some of these futures bets, but also in-game than you two guys. So it's definitely a privilege of mine. Appreciate it. And uh, hey, I think you're like the highest profile guest that we've had to date. So... This is a milestone, a catalyst event in Sportfolio King's history. I think Arjun was is probably the highest. I think he was on the sideline of the New York Jets game or something. Oh, like oh I didn't see that. We got to get that screenshot. All right, so 2023 NFL win total futures for the NFC North. We got the Bears at seven and a half, juice to the over, a very popular pick, especially leaning into Justin Fields' futures bets. Then we got the Packers at seven and a half, also juiced to the over. Then we got the Vikings at eight and a half, juice to the under. And then the Detroit Lions expected to win the division, nine and a half, juiced to the over. This is definitely one of the first years in a very long time that the Lions have this high of expectations. There was a little bit of optimism around the Lions last offseason, certainly led by Eric Eager. Two years ago is when there was a lot of brewing bullishness around the Lions, which ended up really going flat, never came to a fruition. That was still the Matt Patricia-led team. I got suckered into thinking that the Lions could outperform expectations that year. But before we dive into the teams, let's just summarize. What are our favorite NFL division alphabets that we can provide our listeners? First off, everyone and their mother bet that 2020 Detroit division. Everyone was on that. I think it was honestly the first futures bet I, I placed. But here, I'm going to cheat again, not going with an over-under here, but I absolutely love the Vikings division at plus 300. I think it's my favorite division bet on the board. We can get into why, but whew, I'm excited for it. I don't want to completely echo Judah's play, but like you said, Brett, there's a couple teams in this division that are very much, I would say, sexy or very much public right now. And then there's the Green Bay Packers and the quarterback situation. And then, you know, kind of the only one left standing is the Minnesota Vikings. So it's hard for me to stray from that. Defensively, they could be really bad again this year. So I'm 
intrigued by even the Kirk Cousins prop to lead the league in passing yards and stuff, but I realized in some ways the bookmakers are already kind of out in front of my narrative a little bit because he's like the fifth shortest odds ahead of people like Dak Prescott to potentially lead the league in passing yards. So I don't know if that's my favorite bet. I would probably stick with Judas. The Vikings make a lot of sense at their current price to win this division. Okay. The first offseason bet that I made was Roshan Johnson, rookie of the year, plus 5,100. And it's because the Bears are going to be so run heavy. You get a few running back injuries. And Roshan Johnson was a little bit of an afterthought because of Bijan Robinson. But every time he came in, he looks just as good. If he's given the opportunity with the Bears, I think he can exploit that. It's really just going to come down to opportunity. But that's not going to be my alphabet. My alphabet is going to be Lions under nine and a half plus 100. I mean, that's just, it's just too, it's just too high. So that's my alphabet. All right, let's go into team volatility profiles, looking at EDP range of outcomes from last year can give us a sense of how consistent these teams are or not and what their expectations can be potentially moving forward. So Judah, you want to walk us through this? Yeah, I think it's still helpful to give a little bit of background, earn drive points, EDP. It's how many points you earn. You can think of it as you would EPA as an offensive efficiency metric. Here, I think what's pretty interesting is you want to look at how, let's just say skinny or wide the tails are. And it, in comparison, it's a little difficult because the Lions actually had a absolute terrific year on offense. So it kind of shifts the scale. We had them at number two in our EDP rank only behind the Chiefs. But here I'm looking at more the shape of the curve and they weren't so skinny up top. And if you're, you're following along on stream, you can see what that kind of means is it's a wider distribution. They weren't as consistent in their output as were the other teams like the Vikings, Packers, and Bears who have a narrower top and are all bunched together there. We think of the Lions like, oh, they exceeded expectations. They were so close to the playoffs, but really they were dominant on offense last year. I have questions about whether that will continue, but that was the reality from last year. And the Packers, Bears, and Vikings, surprisingly the Bears, honestly, they were right there with them. Pretty similar volatility profile, about average to above average teams in their volatility. Yeah, this is the type of chart that can be really helpful when we're thinking about live betting. For those who can see on the screen, you take these little bumps here, you split it down the middle, all right? That's what's gonna give you a sense of how wide the potential outcomes for this team. And so when you're thinking about deep out of the money bets, deep plus money, you're trying to bet on a low probability outcome, you want a team that would fit that profile and give you a better opportunity of cashing that type of ticket. And that's one of the things we see here from the Lions because the Lions were that type of team that could score zero points or three points, which they did in the belly of the season there or they could score 40 points. And that's the type of team where you could take a deep team points under or deep team points over. And so these are just the types of visualizations that you can help, the data that you wanna look at when you're trying to make those deep out of the money alt line bets over the course of the season. When we look at the NFC North team schedule, all these teams are kind of bunched up together geographically, but even outside of that, all four of these teams are expected to travel some of the least across the league, well below the average. So the average is about 16,000 miles that a team will travel over the course of the season. The Bears are around 12,000. The Packers are around 12,500. All teams are below 15,000. So not a lot of physical demanding or fatiguing travel over the course of the season. So not a key factor in our analysis for this division. 
All right, let's get into the Chicago Bears. Bear down. I'm from Chicago. I'm a Bears homer. I always call everyone else out on it. Got to give them that asterisk when necessary. So I'm giving it to myself. We're looking at the Bears earn drive points. I get people think that the Bears offense was like very explosive. It was explosive for like three or four weeks there in the middle of the season. But we see that their offensive earn drive points was average. All right, a little bit less than two points per drive they earned. And then their defense, one of the worst in the league, second only to the Lions. Most of these teams are kind of clustered together in some way, but it is important to note the offenses uh, that they were aligned with. Teams like the Falcons, uh, the Browns, the Ravens, that range of offensive team. Honestly, a little bit surprising. The interesting thing to me with that cluster, like all very run-heavy teams, in some ways I think like the profile of the Chicago Bears being a really good offense is people looking back at last season and seeing these like gaudy runs, right? There wasn't anything from like a huge explosive plays in the passing game perspective. It was a lot of signature Justin Fields run, Khalil Herbert in a lot of ways as well. But that doesn't seem as stable or as sticky, I would say, as opposed to seeing some of the more high profile passing attacks. And with a league average setting, being one of the best rushing teams in football, like there still needs to be a pretty dramatic improvement from the passing game, specifically with Justin Fields. We're looking at the Bears power ranking volatility chart, and it was really this part of the season from about week five to week 10, where they put a string of games together where they started to really put on points. And it was this week seven game versus the Patriots in prime time started to open people's eyes because it was just so shocking, you know, on the road in Foxborough destroyed the Patriots, led by a lot of those highlight real plays from Justin Fields. They did make a big change that game, which was in the first six weeks of the season, they did not have any design runs for Justin Fields. And in that Monday night football game, he had like seven or eight. And I think that kind of unlocked the offense a bit, but that was like a key point of the season. There was a real fundamental change in the way they ran their offense. Maybe draft quality was a little too bullish, but from yeah. that point on, when they made that fundamental change, which absolutely changed their offense, you can even just look at the point production that they had in the next, you know, three, four or five weeks. Drive quality was leading in that direction saying, actually, this offense is getting better. And the rest of the market just had them at 30th the entire time. Yeah, no one wanted to bet on the Bears in that Patriots game. 25th ranked pick uh, in Circa that week. But it was after that game, then 5th, 3rd, 4th, 8th, 7th. Then they start reaching into top 10 most popular picks. And it's because a lot of those highlight real plays. But then this team also didn't cover 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 out of the last eight games. So certainly did not reward betters. There's a lot of projection of this field's ascent uh, to be a great quarterback, but we actually haven't seen much of that at all. And if you actually look at the EPAs of, that we have on this chart of fields in the last couple of weeks of the season, you got negative 2.6, 3.3, 2.7, negative 0.8, negative 10, negative 20.9. He wasn't good to finish off the season. Like he had uh, some flashes there, a lot of which are on the backs of huge runs, which are probably not going to sustain themselves going forward yet the price is seven and a half right and we see it with the circa numbers that, that you're outlining there's this built-in projection of the bears as a much better team than they were no and after the falcons game in week 11 this offense did not eclipse 20 points for the rest of the season it was really defined by just this five week span in the middle of the season patriots Cowboys, Dolphins, Lions, and Falcons. And they lost four or five of those games <laughs> because the Bears couldn't close. 
one of the things that we leaned into a lot when betting the Bears last season, Judah, was betting them in the first quarter, leaning into those scripted plays. They were one of the best teams from an offense perspective in the first quarter. Bears actually scored on 70% of opening drives. But if you look at their first quarter margin, it's flat. So even though they're one of the best offenses in the first quarter, their net margin for the first quarter was zero. So they weren't creating any wiggle room. And then you look at the fourth quarter and they're 31st in points. And that's why we can look at the max leads, like a 10 point lead, a 19 point lead, a 14 point lead, a 13 point lead. And they blew all of them. And it's weird because it is creating a very bullish pricing in some pretty dramatic Justin Fields increase and from a passing efficiency standpoint, but also kind of like you mentioned, Brett, an improvement on the defense side of the football. But the reasons why they would be projected to be better defensively are signing guys like Tremont Edmonds. And to me, like him at middle linebacker, like that's not a position that I would really want to invest heavy resources into like the Chicago Bears did. And I think it maybe even further iterates the point where defensively they probably won't be anywhere close to expectation like Vicky and Price at right now. It's very much setting up to be where they were at in 2022 and I just don't see an improvement from a roster standpoint that is really going to move the needle to the point where the hype that we're seeing coming from the betting market is really going to be justified or live up to it. I'm looking at the PFF grades of the defensive line. We've gotten 111th out of 119th, 24th out of 127, 111th out of 127, 113th out of 119. And their cornerbacks are also a train wreck, maybe the exception of Jalen Johnson. They're holes in huge areas for this defense. Right. They went out and signed Yannick Ngakwe, probably the best edge rusher still available at this point, and they probably need you know a few more guys along the defensive line but Yannick Ngakwe when he's at his best is very much just a situational pass rusher and I don't think is really going to move the needle. I think the other aspect of this dichotomy between the Bears first quarter and then the rest of the game is also is this an indictment of the coaching staff still a young coach staff and an inexperienced coaching staff just the inability to adjust to other teams then adjusting to your offense after that first quarter. You have to be making the bet that DJ Moore and a full year of Chase Claypool and a healthful Darnell Mooney are going to like unlock some passing efficiency from Justin Fields. And we even heard Fields talk about, I'm going to be the first quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards. I'm not buying it. I think, you know, we've seen a, a wide receiver kind of unlock a quarterback. Uh, it's happened in Tyree Kill to, to a tongue of Iloa and AJ Brown to Jalen Hurts, Stephon Diggs to Josh Allen, Jamar Chase to Joe Burrow, but I don't think DJ Moore is the same caliber receiver. And also the base rate for Justin Fields is just so low as a passer that even if he kind of like marginally improves, even if he improves his accuracy by four or 5%, which would be a huge jump, he's still a below average quarterback in that regard. The case for upside, I would say, is that you always want to find a guy who has elite traits. And Justin Fields is certainly an elite scrambler. You know, with that comes the cost of missing open receivers. I posted a chart where Justin Fields really pops out. It's a chart about the percentage of throws to open receivers and, and versus tight windows. And Justin Fields doesn't throw to tight windows very often. He's good. He scrambles in that way, but he's also never finding open receivers. And it's not due to the bare spot receivers are bad. Justin Fields took so long to throw that receivers actually just ran open, but he's got some processing issue, which was the knock on him coming out of college. And I'm not sure that DJ Moore and Chase Claypool, who frankly hasn't been very good, are really going to unlock that. And that has to be the, the logic behind giving the Bears a seven and a half win total. And Justin Fields is notorious for shooting his mouth off. So 4,000 yards, it's total BS. I remember in his rookie year in the preseason talking about the game's not that fast. 
then the next game got like sacked five times or whatever goes further to your point due to about this lack of processing speed i mean it was sacked on 14 percent of plays by far the most in the league 30th in dropbacks pass rate over expected negative 14 percent dead last 29th in neutral pass rate on second and short plays a great time to pass to throw it deep a great time to use that as a high leverage opportunity 75 percent run plays on second and short so not even taking the opportunities when they're brought to you and bringing in dj Moore, all of a sudden this offense is going to totally flip the script yeah justin fields accurate throw percentage was 31 percent, which was dead last in the nfl four percent worse than Zach Wilson. If he improves 10% in his accuracy, which would be the same jump as Josh Allen had in 2019 to 2020, which was completely unprecedented. If he has that 10% jump, his accuracy would rank with Joe Flacco, Kenny Pickett, Bailey Zappi, and Tyler Huntley, right? Like we need to set the expectation for what Justin Fields is as a passer. And it's awful. And he probably hit his ceiling type outcome from a rushing perspective in a lot yes. of ways, right? There's a realistic path to them potentially regressing downward from where they were at in rushing last year. And if that happens and we don't see any dramatic improvement from a passing game, this is still very much the same team that they were in 2022. A lot of people like to hype up DJ Moore. He's a good number two on a really good team, but he's definitely not like the alpha that you'd really want to revolutionize this offense. When we talk about two, like a team bringing on a potential alpha wide receiver, which we all don't think necessarily DJ Moore is that guy. But even if he was, when we're talking about that can really elevate the quarterback, it's when that quarterback already has some pretty strong, like existing right. fundamentals. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that yeah. this will bring a really powerful new synergy. That's not the case with Justin Fields. And that's why I liked some of those running back focused futures bets like potential Roshan Johnson rookie of the year. As I mentioned, 30th and drop back. So very run heavy team, even in those opportunities where they could throw it deep. Judah, did you put this as one of the moonshot bets yeah. for the Bears? Was Bears rushing touchdown every game? Yeah. Plus 4,500? More than that. I think it was seven, like 70 to one or something. Like well, that. then it's gotten bid down because you moved the market. I guess right I, I can't imagine that's a very liquid market. Oh yeah, I'm sure it took two bets. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, 70 to one. I mean, I think they have some floor as like an okay offense. They definitely um, have better offensive personnel. Like that's- Yeah, no, I, they have off, they have certainly, and I think that's kind of where we should set the expectation as like average to below average. And as a Bears fan, if Justin Fields just learned a lot, no, see, I mean, you don't want to read a lot into the training camp highlights and all other type of stuff, but he has made some good throws, especially there's supposedly this really authentic chemistry between him and DJ Moore. And if he could turn that corner, like a Josh Allen from a couple of years ago, where people were totally writing him off, that was a huge outlier. So you can't like use that as a benchmark. But if Justin Fields could do that, and with an enhanced offensive line, with enhanced wide receivers, and maybe the offense play calling is going to get more aggressive, oh, this could be fun. That's the appeal of having a guy with an elite trait. You know, if we're six weeks into the season and Justin Fields all of a sudden has a accuracy rate of 48% instead of 31% and it's looking like it's sticky that's a perfect case for the right tail of the bears how likely is that tail to manifest yeah man betters lost a lot of money betting on the bears last year again three and 14 straight up five ten and two ats so that's not even like they were sneaking by ats a 100 dollar better if you bet on their money lines and spreads lost over 1600 dollars last year so there was no money to be made unless you were leaning into those deep out of the money alt 
Justin Fields rushing bets in the middle of the season. Like, oh, Justin Fields over 105 rushing yards. Oh my gosh, our sports score bot is uh, is back alive and totally wrong. Live football. You love to see it. You love to see it. I was going to say, it's a little disappointing that we're not doing game trade when there's live football on. What is the score right now? 16-14. Going into the fourth by plus six. My Jets tickets are getting dicier by the second. I should have live bet. Should have live bet Browns with Brett. Basically. I know. Hey so. man. Okay, Bears again. So a lot of this optimism has definitely been well priced in. Now seven and a half wins for the Bears. You look at Week One and their favorites versus the Packers, who are dealing with their own issues, which we'll get into. And then they go on the road to the Bucks, and again they're dealing with their own issues. But the the Bears are favorites on the yeah, road versus the Bucks. I mean, come on. These are the types of anecdotal observations I feel like, wow, this team is like way overpriced right now. And that probably feeds in, you know, across all the other kind of derivative bets, you know, out there. Yeah. I can see them sneaking out two wins against the the Packers and Bucks and everyone. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. two and O Bears. And I'm excited to fade that. Supposedly a strength of schedule 27th, but you got to play the Chiefs on the road, Chargers on the road, Saints on the road. Washington, Thursday night football, another road game versus Cleveland. And then closing at Lambeau. You're talking about pricing the Bears are getting eight wins. That is like very ambitious. All right, Packers, we're looking at the offense and defense earn drive points. Right there almost as a dead middle team. Average offense, average defense. And we know they came into last year with very elevated expectations, not just for the team, but especially the defense. That was going to be an elite secondary, and it turned out to be average at best. When we look at the power ranking volatility for the team, drive quality hated the Packers, hated the Packers. Well off market, my God, by week nine, drive quality of the Packers is the 29th. They didn't cover versus the Patriots, didn't cover versus the Giants, didn't cover versus the Jets, didn't cover versus Washington, then had a half point cover versus the Bills, then came back and didn't cover again versus Alliance. So through that downturn, we had several games where the Packers were blatantly missing market expectations and drive quality was ahead of that. And, you know, there were some issues around like, oh, Aaron Rodgers, did he break his thumb? And then they ended with that, that week 18 game versus Alliance. If they win, they get into the playoffs when the Lions ruined the party in Lambeau. Uh, bravo, bravo to them. I think the frustrating part about the Packers and Brett, I think you were spot on with this defense is so good, you know, top five expectations. As long as Joe Barry's the defensive coordinator, I'm going to be selling the Packers team. Something that is just so frustrating is that the Packers had two of the best man corners in the NFL. Looking at the separation allowed in man coverage, they literally had two guys in the top five and played man coverage 25% of the time, which was you know, at the bottom of the league. It's, it's mind boggling. We know man coverage. I've written about this in the past. It's kind of reflective of the talent on the field. The better corners will be better wide receivers. Better wide receivers will be better corners. And for the most part, they had better corners and they just refused to play man coverage. Granted, they had some injuries with Rashawn Gary, but there's so much talent on this team. But I think so long as Joe Barry's the defensive coordinator, the talent's not really going to matter because they're still going to underperform year after year after year. I was going to mention that Rashawn Gary is some positive movement for the Packers defensively, but you're really buying into Jordan Love basically being the next coming of Aaron Rodgers, but I think they're very much 
a team that I would want to wait and see where they're going to be at after week three or week four, and then maybe buying into something or fading something in the futures market. But right now, you know, oh, the Browns just took over. The scorebot <laughs> is working. I'm tilting to my face off already. So. <laughs> Oh no, no, but I mean, yeah, I, I do think going back to where we were at with the Bears, like there is some weirdly bullish narratives driving the Green Bay Packers price that just seems like a difficult task to see them live up to that amount. I know the division is down, but I do still think these are probably the clear two bottom teams in this division. The Packers really are another one of these teams, the stories of the first half and second half. And so we see them start with very, very elevated expectations. You know, as sports bettors, we're not just trying to say, is this team good or is it bad? Are they good or bad relative to expectations? Expectations started sky high for this team. And we started to see that they could not meet those expectations. And so the market started to downgrade them accordingly. Of course, drive quality was well ahead of that curve. But then there reached a certain point in time around week 11, week 12, where then expectations overshot to the downside and then turned and then they rattle off one two three four covers four out of five covers in a row and so it's like trying to call these types of swings and trying to evaluate all right when has the market too hot and then when is the market now too cold they were eight and nine eight and nine ats but again a lot of that was trend following you know you could have really made some pretty decent money betting or fading the Packers over the course of the season. When I'm looking at the game by game, I see Aaron Rodgers you know, started every single game. We look at active points perspective. A reminder, active points is how many points did they score in excess of betting market expectations. Net, net, Packers active points, negative 41. $100 better would have lost $400 betting on the money line and spread last season. When we're looking at max lead and max deficits, I mean, some pretty heavy deficits for the Packers over the course of the season. Negative 20, negative 17, negative 17, negative 14, negative 11, negative 14, negative 13, negative 10, negative 9, negative 9. So putting yourself in some pretty difficult positions. And despite that, when we look at the Circa ranks, we see a lot of green, a lot of green. So the Packers were certainly a popular team that the market wanted to bet on. What's striking here is if you're looking at the profile here, I'm looking at the, the TUMs, the time-weighted average margin, but how often they were kind of leading the game and they had like six or seven kind of wins there or green. Yeah. You're you're talking about the, you know, cover percentage, all of these things. And it, it's kind of a Met team. Like fundamentally, they were, you know, eight, nine wins. They lost Aaron Rodgers. That's a huge delta between Rodgers and, and Love. They weren't leading many games. This is a seven-win team. And what, Jordan Love's going to be better than Aaron Rodgers? I'm a huge bear on Jordan Love. <laughs> and look at the additions versus the losses as well. I mean, there's nothing there, basically. There's a lot that needs to go right. Jordan Love essentially performing pretty close to where Aaron Rodgers was at last year. Some continued Christian Watson big play dependency from a touchdown perspective that just probably isn't going to be there either. It's going to be difficult. I could easily see them squeaking out five wins you got jordan love who's got about 50 passes under his belt you got watson and dubs with about 40 catches each you got a rookie likely to be your third starting wide receiver a rookie tight end so how is there going to be any chemistry now they had the strong starting lineman they return all five starters on a strong offensive line the second lowest in pressure rate top 10 in pass and run block win rates 
but this is also going to be an offense game that is likely going to lack chemistry and also it's going to be a very slow offense a lot of people don't think about Packers teams as being slow offensive because they had Aaron Rodgers but the Packers have actually been dead last or second to last in offensive pace for the last four years since Matt LaFleur's joined the team 28th in passing on first downs last year this is a team that is not very aggressive and now you're lacking your leader who likely had that Michael Jordan effect of making others better than they actually are when I was doing this research made me a little bit curious into thinking about Green Bay plus 1100 least points scored this season because assuming that their defense maybe is better so they want to try to slow games down and this is going to be a team that perpetually scores less than 20 points a game so it's plus 1100 on DraftKings but it's actually that's not even like a very attractive price for that I think the point about Rodgers is a force multiplier actually gets I think the narrative is that okay Jordan Love has a good offensive line he's got a good coach his situation is good and I actually completely disagree with that I think Rodgers is a force multiplier especially on the offensive line right he's a mm. he's, has the enough of a presence to know when pressure's coming to get rid of the ball quick if you look mm. at his time to throw and his operation in the quick game I'm not so sure Jordan Love will be as efficient in the same ways that Rodgers was and actually like David Bakhtiari, great left tackle and healthy. He hasn't really been healthy in two years. Sure. They were good as a unit precisely, I think, because Aaron Rodgers elevated them because he's the type of quarterback who the offensive line doesn't really matter that much. Now it kind of flips that situation on its head, and you've got a bunch of really, at your point, inexperienced wide receivers, a questionable offensive line. Yes, the coach is good, but is the situation really so great for Love? I'm not so sure. I think what LaFleur is going to do is rely on like the one constant venture that they have at the skill positions. And that's very much like Aaron Jones to a right. lesser extent, AJ Dillon. And then they're pounding the rock, trying to win football games defensively and rushing the football. I do think it sets up well for what Brett mentioned as far as like them maybe being pretty close to like the lowest scoring team in football. I do think their schedule is one of the easier ones. I think I have like 22nd according to PFF's ELO ranking. I do love the logic behind the bet. I wish it was juicier odds on the lowest scoring team. I think there's some floor there. I'm just struggling to see anything more than average to below average team. To your point, a lot of people cite the offensive line as a key strength that could actually help elevate Jordan Love. But maybe the offensive line was great because of the wisdom, experience, judgment of Aaron Rodgers. And now you have an inexperienced quarterback comes in and then leans into the weaknesses of that offensive line. And this team was already slow. They were already slow moving with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, what, he's going to want to put the ball into Jordan Love's hands and be more aggressive than he was with Aaron Rodgers? Like, no, no way. So he priced at seven and a half right now. I think like Ben talks about the schedule is accommodative, but five wins or, or lower that I could see that coming into play. The one thing I'll say about the schedule is that the easier games are late in the season. I'm looking at the stretch of like away at the Steelers, Chargers, Lions, Chiefs, away at the Giants. You lose a bunch of those games and you're kind of a three, four win team. It's a totally different calculus playing mm -hmm. those last four games out of contention as opposed to if you're in it. Yeah, and this is the Rams. I was wondering who that was, actually. It's, that's LAR versus LA being a perpetual splinter in my code. Uh, we all know the struggle. All right, fuck the Packers. Into the Vikings. Purple and gold. So we look at the Vikings, about 2.2 points of earned drive points on offense. 
giving up about the same on defense. One of the better offenses, but again, very well documented narrative around the Vikings where a lot of that seemed a little bit specious at best. One of the better offenses. I see them right in line with the Dolphins, the Bengals, and the 49ers. I think the thought is like, oh, the Vikings are middle of the pack offense. I don't think that's right. I think they were a top 10 offense. It could also probably be considered improved on where they were at offensively, at least from the on-paper roster perspective. And I think that's why you want to, you know, buy into Minnesota's. The Vikings are kind of this unsexy but consistent product that we pretty much understand what we're going to get from them, at least offensively. And if it is going to be a down division, you know, could very much, I would say, be to the benefit of the Vikings. What I thought was interesting, when we look at the defensive active points, again, so how did this team's defense perform relative to betting market expectations? We know the Bears were one of the worst defenses and we see them here, you know, giving up about 50 more points than betting markets expected to them. And betting markets had very low expectations for the Bears defense. But second to them is the Vikings. The Vikings defense underperformed betting market expectations the second most, almost just as bad as the Bears. So that actually goes to Judah's point around how the success that the Vikings did have was really being led by the offensive side of the football. Yeah, the Vikings and Bears were just as bad on defense. They were the same bottom five unit. This defense was dreadful last year. They'd had like a bunch of turnovers that resulted in them having like a decent EPA from the defensive side of the football. But it was super big play dependent from the defensive side. And they did get some really timely turnovers and crucial situations, which I think inflated their EPA. But I think it speaks to like the quality of the earned drive points metric that they very much shouldn't have and don't show up very well on that particular metric defensively when you could just for some of those high variance type plays that they were greatly benefiting from. Yeah, in fact, yeah, we do see Bears, Vikings, Lions as the three bottom dwellers there from an EDP that's, perspective. So maybe that's the case where we shouldn't bet Green Bay Packers at least points. This there you season. go. Might be the that's, 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 that's the wrinkle. That's the wrinkle. <laughs> when we look at the Vikings power rank volatility, it's all over the place, really illustrating the season that we know that the Vikings had. Couldn't really get a grip on who they were. Drive quality couldn't really get a grip on who per se. It wasn't a great signal for the Vikings. We didn't really end up betting the Vikings too much. We mostly bet them live with the expectation of collapsing or at least giving up a lead that they had. Yeah, one of the favorite one of the favorite charts is the, I call it like success rate when leading comfortably. Like when a team's win probability is 70% and it's like five straight years now, the Vikings have been in the bottom left corner as one of the least efficient teams with leads. And that is certainly something we capitalized on. There really was some anomalistic outcomes for this team. I mean, definitely highlighted by, I mean, the fact that I'm not going to mention the Colts game first, which is the biggest comeback in NFL history. No, I'm actually going to talk about the Bills one first, because at least the Colts one, like they are at home. They still had a whole half of football left. They are playing a team that was very bad. I was definitely live betting that game and was like betting Vikings, like, plus 3,000, plus 18 and a half, plus 14 and a half, plus seven and a half. And I remember when we were doing the game trade on that Bills game, we would have mopped up if the Bills would have won, which they should have. That one was just 
took absolutely a, crazy. Took a Justin Jefferson miracle catch on fourth and 20, and then a Josh Allen fumble on the one, yes. and then a Josh Allen interception in overtime. Yeah. <laughs> for, for the when they were driving, I mean, that was an interception everyone forgets was in the end zone, basically, for them to actually score yeah. two or something. I remembered watching quarterback. That's uh, what I literally had forgotten, like, half the crazy plays in that game until I watched quarterbacks and realized just, like, how absolutely nuts that game was. To me, the narrative with the Vikings, especially in 2023, is like, oh, well, obviously they're going to regress, right? Like, the one-score games and, like, all these other things. And it's like, regression's kind of, like, a weird thing to cite in the sense that we, like, don't know how long it's actually going to take to regress, right? Like, the markets can stay you know, irrational longer than we can stay solvent in a lot of ways. Yeah, the Vikings should very much regress in one score games, games in 2023, but it's such a small sample size with 17 games. And if that's what you're basing your hypothesis on to potentially fade the Vikings, there needs to be more there for me to actually buy into that scenario. I think they will definitely be better. Having a full season of TJ Hawkinson and Jordan Addison will be better with the weapons. I mean, Kirk Cousins is the model of consistency. His accuracy has been 45% every single year since 2016. His PFF grade has been the exact same every single year. You know what you're getting. And in the second year in Kevin O'Connell's offense, we have seen time and time again, quarterbacks getting better as they get from more familiar with an offense going from year one to year two. But the point most people are missing here and why I'm very bullish on the Vikings, offensive stability aside, is that and the reason I highlighted the defense is, if anything, that's going to regress positively for them. We have some defensive coordinator rankings that Steven's been putting together. We've got Brian Flores as the number two defensive coordinator in the NFL. And coverage is less about the players, so much so as the positions that they are placed in. Uh, and Brian Flores has had good secondaries wherever he's coached, which I think speaks to his talent as a defensive play caller and a defensive coordinator. And that's the most important aspect they do lack talent in the secondary but i think that matters less when you have a, a coordinator like flores who we're going to look back and be like oh you know these minnesota corners who we thought were nothings and jojo on williams is going to come and have a decent corner season because that's because brian flores is placing him in in good situations and add in that the offense only has reasons to get better especially in a division where we just spent an hour talking about all the question marks and all the potential ranges of outcomes for the for the Bears and the Packers, and we know what we're getting from the Vikings. And they were like probably a 9-10 win team fundamentally, and I think that's what they'll be this year, and that's probably enough. I think too, nine and a half wins. If you do buy into Brian Flores, there is still quite a bit of upside, I would say, from a pressure perspective. I'm going to have Daniil Hunter, hopefully for a full season, Marcus Davenport as well. And we've seen Brian Flores have quite a bit of success in manufacturing some of these pressure type situations, high leverage downs and distances and stuff like that. If he is successful in bringing the blitz and actually getting some of that, like it is going to alleviate some of the concerns with the secondary and they might not end up being all that bad. A lot of people cite, oh, the Vikings had so many one score games, so many one score games. I want to continue to do deeper research, but I've already started to do some preliminary research and there's a difference between one score wins and one score losses. And looking at the data over the last 20 years, one score wins is kind of noisy, doesn't really have any signal in it, but one score losses do have a little bit of signal in the sense of teams that had one score losses, in fact, perform well the next year. Whereas again, those one score wins, not a lot of signal, just noisy. So just something there, because I know a lot of people try to cite like, oh, the Vikings had so many one score wins, like that is going to regress like necessarily, which the data doesn't suggest that, that that is the case. That's just an anecdotal observation that you think to be true, which it, it isn't really.
really good point that you mentioned too because the idea of one score wins and stuff going back to with what we mentioned with Aaron Rodgers and if he does have this almost like Michael Jordan-esque type ability I think you're going to see that play out in more one score wins and stuff like that so in some ways actually like adjusting for what the quarterback situation is and there is still some very much unknown I would say about like the one score differentials and that really being like the basis for why you want to buy or fade any team yeah and like one score wins is one way of capturing kind of a result of a game right we have efficiency metrics like earn drive points like EPA but if we go back to our chart of the x-ray performance as you look at the time weighted average win probability which reflects like over the course of the game right how often were they winning from a win probability perspective and for the most part it's comfortable margins it's 83 percent 59 percent 74 60 73 83 58 77 75 63 82 and that tells a totally different story than the one score game the time weighted average probability and the time weighted average margin takes all four quarters as equal as opposed to just isolating some kind of random part and as you're saying there there probably is some signal to kind of how games end in particular quarterbacks, right? Like it's not a coincidence that Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Chiefs win a ton of one score games every single year. But the point is that like, that we keep driving home is there are other ways to look at one score games. There are other metrics which can kind of tell you a different story. Yep. And that's why we put these together is because you want to try to evaluate, triangulate and use these different statistics and evaluation metrics to be able to come to a more holistic conclusion around how you may potentially bet this team in the future and not relying on any one single statistic or metric, especially and especially if everyone else is citing that statistic. (laughs) So gotta look for alt data. And that's definitely what we try to bring to the table. So we already mentioned a lot of the off season changes or we implied a lot of them led I have here by Brian Flores because I thought that would potentially be a wild card for that defense. And we've kind of talked about how bad the defense was last year so you know brian flores is certainly a talented defensive coach if not a little bit of a crybaby but a good defensive coach <laughs> got some strays uh, there <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i'm glad he's he's back in the league and uh, i think the defense can't be as bad as it was last year so we look at the 2023 look at spreads eight and a half wins being priced strength of schedule eighth implied using futures net rest minus two days open up first three out of five games eagles chargers chiefs get a little bit of a respite with the bears but it's on the road still a division game could still be tough and then you got the niners after that also a late buy buy doesn't show up until the 13th week and then if you're in any sort of dicey situation by that time you roll out of the buy you got to go to las vegas and then you have to have a really tough last three out of four games versus bengals lions lions so in the last three games are all division foes lions packers lions the eighth most difficult strength of schedule third most difficult in the nfc so there are some pretty decent schedule concerns. Dan's talking about how some of the, the easy games don't look so easy. We're going to look back at, remember when we thought the Niners were going to be so good coming up back-to-back <laughs> NFC games? And, you know, they went 6-11 and 11 this year. <laughs> right, we were looking last week at the, the Texans' schedule, and, you know, they played the Colts, who were power-ranked 11th, and the Broncos, who were power-ranked 8th to start the season. They played them close, and we're like, oh, maybe the Texans are okay. And it turns out the Colts and Broncos were horrible. 
Remember when the Colts beat the Chiefs last year? And then those are the types of things that happen. And it's still the NFL. It's still the NFL. If it was so easy, then we'd just be like, again, just like printing money, predicting the outcomes of these games. Yeah. It's not easy. It's tough. Even doing it straight up, because otherwise I just join the Circa Survivor Contest, lever up, and just take home a couple mil. You know, no problem. It's always, always difficult. Yeah. Last year, our survivor, we couldn't make it past week two. Uh, we're good at this. Cooper Rush. <laughs> Come on. That was, that was tough. But that gets back to the point, which is that, like, I think you got to, the best we have is looking at the team fundamentals. And the bottom line for the Vikings is, I think this was an eight or nine win team last year. And I think the outlook's only better, especially relative to the context uh, of the division. I agree. I could definitely see Vikings winning the division you both loved the bet since you made it your same bet and i agree vikings you know plus 300 or whatever to win the division is a very attractive attractive bet all right so let's move on to the division favorites the detroit lions with the worst defense in the nfl last year but also the second best offense when it comes to earned drive points and that's why we saw drive quality really love the lions last year because you, know, you open up, they play tough first. the Eagles, mount a nice little comeback near the end there. But the Lions pull off, boom, 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 three straight covers to open the season, then put up 45 points versus the Seahawks. And now you're like, wow, this team has now scored 30 plus points, four straight games. This team could be explosive. And that's when you saw this pop from the Lions. Although drive quality did start to sell off on the Lions going in to that Patriots game which was the real shocker. The one where I kept betting the Lions live, trying to catch a falling knife, and they scored zero. Literally the worst game of the season. And then the next week you think like, oh, maybe they'll bounce back, and then you'll only put up six versus the Cowboys. And this is the type of rhythms that happen over the course of the season where now there's a little bit of a disillusionment. In fact, this was the bottom. So the market got a little bit excited on the Lions over the course of the first four games. And then in a matter of two games, it was like, nope, that was bullshit. Write it off. This is one of the worst teams in the NFL. And boom, by week eight, they're power rated by the broader market consensus as the 32nd team in the NFL. And then it was all up from there. And really drive quality bounced back fast after that. This is also a great reminder of the power of drive quality, which is we use it not just as a kind of season long efficiency metric, but really where it's most potent is in the short term, especially when you're using it as a rolling average, which illustrates exactly what can happen here of like the team has four good showings. They kind of suck for two weeks. The fundamentals though are still there and that looking forward using the rolling averages, the six games as opposed to the one or two. And then as it progresses through the season, it kind of shows a, a rosier picture that actually ended up manifesting with the Lions but just the team was underperforming and there was some noise in there, but the overall profile of this team was still really, really good. And that played out perfectly. This is what you want to see here. Going into this Patriots game and the market continually upgrading the Patriots, the drive quality got well ahead of that. And they had been downgrading the Patriots one, two, three, four weeks in a row leading in to that Patriots game. In fact, diametrically opposed, moving in different directions than the market so i shouldn't have been so aggressive betting the lions live in that game seeing the relative direction of drive quality and then again got ahead of it here and this is what gave us so much confidence to keep betting the lions in the second half of that season when they went cover 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 seven covers in a row one little blip versus the panthers and then another two covers just printing money 
for betters. And this gave us confidence to keep betting the Lions in, into season end. Yeah. To me, this is still a team that does have a lot of fundamental flaws, and I'm not quite sure they're even going to be as good as they were last year, right? They're going to have three new people started in their secondary. Definitely needed, but like that coming together as quickly as people want to project and stuff, you know, outside of Aiden Hutchinson, like they don't have a ton from a pressure perspective. They are going to need Jared Goff to win a lot of games. And I know he was good at doing that last year, but I'm just not sure that's something I want to buy into on a year over year basis, especially given the current price. Right, we talked about this all the time, like the taste that was left in better's mouth. And this chart is a perfect reminder, right? This is the team who was 30th to power rank their way all the way to the 19th and had all those covers. It's kind of the taste that's left in a better's mouth is this team is for real. And that's the sentiment that's driving the current price. Something you want to keep in your mind are these three road games, this Patriots game, this Cowboys game, and this Panthers game. Are those performances still in this team's DNA where they look bad? But yeah, to your point, Judah, Mid-season especially, people think they got it all figured out. You know, we know who these teams are. We've got enough data now. My conviction is only is is much stronger in week eight than it was in in week one. In week eight, the Lions were power ranked as the 37, the worst team in the NFL. You cannot be more wrong. And just goes to show how opportunities can continue to present themselves. And we've shown over the course of this whole division, this was another trend following team. In fact, to see how these trends, how these teams evolve, it takes the market a while to properly price these teams because they keep kind of feeding into whatever their biases are. So the repricing is in fact slower and slower, despite potentially counter evidence uh, on the field. It is a really interesting discussion, like as far as like the priors and stuff, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are such a good example of this. It's like the betting market continuously pricing them in based on their priors that wasn't updating fast enough. And in some ways the books don't want to get ran over and being slow to actually adjust some of these power rankings on teams. But I think in some ways it's moved in, in the opposite direction for the Detroit Lions and is probably setting up for the why they're probably going to be like one of, if not my biggest fade to start this season. And they came in last year and there was some brewing optimism, especially from some pockets in the broader Twitter sphere, but they were six and a half last year you could see upside at six and a half now they're nine and a half and expected to win the division they're juiced to win the division that is like no it's the inverse of the titans right where it was nine and a half last season i'm like hard hard selling it i bet the alt under seven and a half and then you can adjust for expectation now they're seven and a half lions last season six and a half bye 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 nine and a half like we've adjusted kind of to the optimism of last year and not that much has materially changed for the better. The expectation is just too high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Shooter McGavin does also talk about how the Lions offensive line was banged up in those games that they underperformed in. And we know Goff relies so strongly on having a strong, good offensive line. And if your offensive line is banged up on the road, even worse scenario for Jared Goff. To be fair, also, the offensive line was extremely banged up against Washington, too. And they still put up a bunch of points. I remember betting betting Washington. But at home. They were at home then. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the key point. And this is something we've talked about a lot, actually, is the Lions might have the biggest home field advantage in the NFL right now. And that has everything to do with Jared Goff's ability to play at home and not operate. Yeah. From the offseason changes, again, really tried to lean into some of those 
defensive weaknesses. Lost DJ Chark, lost DeAndre Swift, lost Jamal Williams, but are replacing that running back duo with Jameer Gibbs, rookie from Alabama, who's kind of shown some flashes in training camp. Are you guys bullish on Gibbs? I feel like if he has a pretty big role in the passing game, that's where I think he's really going to move the needle. But I don't know. To me, like their draft is just like further confirmation for me that they are an easy fade because they very much made some of these like luxury type picks at positions that don't historically move the needle in a lot of ways. It's this idea that they've already arrived. But to me, this is still a team that, you know, hasn't done anything, right? Like they still haven't made the playoffs. This is still a team that was a really good underdog and really scrappy underdog. But to go from being the team that needs to give all the best teams their best shot to actually being the team that is getting all their teams best shot, like I think it's a pretty big fundamental shift for them. So although I think Jameer Gibbs is maybe going to have a pretty decent impact, I think going at the running back position as early as they did in the draft is going to have some long-term downside outcomes for them, even if he does produce this year. Is anyone thinking the reason the Lions didn't make the playoffs last year is because like Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift didn't produce enough? Like, no, no one thinks that. But Gibbs is going to have plenty of opportunity to shine in, in fantasy and DFS. A lot of these weaknesses or these whiffs from the team have been overlooked because of the returning Ben Johnson factor. Right. which people are obviously and justifiably enamored with. But I feel like there's too much of a Ben Johnson premium now. And a lot of these things are now being overlooked, things that you just talked about, Ben. In the NFL, is such a push and pull league that like Ben Johnson got to step up. But now the defensive coordinators have all offseason to review his run schemes and what he did that made it work. My hunch is, unless he's the next Kyle Shanahan or Andy Reid, my hunch is it's probably not going to be as good as it was last year. And that's important, I think, because when you look at the Lions offense, it's like Jared Goff had a ceiling year last year. And unless you're like really believing in Ben Johnson and Ben Johnson is the next huge thing, I think you have to expect Goff to play to his career averages. And unless he's some offensive whiz, I don't see the Lions sustaining the success they had last year. And the previous Ben Johnson, Sean McVay, at one point did fail with Jared Goff as well. So in some ways, it's like, I'm, you know, they could have been more of like an outlier season. Yeah, you know, 2017 Goff at a... 0.13 EPA and then 2018.17 and then 0.4 negative 0.06 and negative 0.07 like we've seen the volatility of Goff we've seen him go from being a really 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 good quarter quarterback one year to just kind of falling off the next and one of the reasons I love these power ranking volatility charts because it brings you back to these different moments in time around how the market was evaluating these teams in week eight all right the Lions are sitting at one and six straight up and there was tons of commentary around dan campbell potentially being fired right. right and this whole first half of the season is a little bit forgotten to posterity and it's really only this is what's remembered and, and how the team you know is being priced this season so when we look at the 2023 look ahead spreads again priced all the way up to nine and a half, heavily juiced. When I'm looking at these games, thinking about especially Jared Goff, like being not a great road quarterback. So like on the road versus Baltimore in week seven, that one's going to be a tough one. On the road in LA week 10, out of a bye, so not too terrible there. On the road versus New Orleans, but in a dome. Play Denver at home, so don't need to go to Denver. They play in Tampa, no big deal. 
So the way I'm looking at this again, like it's hard to evaluate strength of schedule, but when I'm looking at this as far as like potential obvious weak spots for a quarterback like Jared Goff, I don't see any tough ones that stick out. I was going to say the exact opposite. You want to play the Falcons on the road, not at home. You don't want to play the Chiefs away. You don't want to play the Ravens away. You don't want to play the Chargers away. You don't want to play the Saints away. You don't even want to play the Cowboys away. All of those games I think are like closer to toss-ups if you have them at home rather than on the road. Yeah, I could see that perspective, but I'm just saying like from an environmental perspective of where we know Jared Goff has an special Achilles heel, these are all relatively innocuous environments outside of that Baltimore game. Right. Are you saying like the cold or something like that? Yeah, cold and also grass. Yeah. Right. So. Right, that's fair. Elements, physical, yeah. unpredictable right. elements. Minnesota Dome, just... Dallas Dome, New yeah. Orleans Dome, Southern California. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm going to have a lot of money on the Seahawks week two against the Detroit. Oh, me too. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. might be my biggest bet game of the season. And they're being priced aggressive. I mean, again, I'm no fan of the Falcons, but I mean, inching towards like five, six points. And we already see it too, like week one. All I see is like people thinking they're super clever by saying like, hey, I, I think the Lions could beat the Chiefs week one. The way more likelihood is people being super pumped about the Lions and they just look like a flat out bad team, bad like team, right out of the way. game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because the Chiefs, like they like they don't really like start with any hangovers. Like they start the season like red hot. In fact, it's like sometimes their best game over the course of the first quarter of the season. It's in that first game. And then maybe they get a little a little sloppy. But they like want to send a message right away in week one and no better team than to play potentially the worst defense in the league on turf. All right. Good stuff, guys. Do we want to change them here bets? I came in really liking the Vikings and I'm like fine to sell on the Packers and Bears and the Lions and get my exposure to that through the Vikings division bet. But I actually think I like unders on all three of those teams. These prices are, are way off. True fertility. Yeah. I convinced myself even further of just potentially Again, betting left tail scenarios for the Packers. I think that could be really attractive. Again, that fewest points, again, priced a little bit too aggressively at plus 1100. But if there's other ways to play that theme, you know, I might try to dig in to some potential opportunities there. Any changes from you, Ben? You, you like you like your bets? I mean, I'm just I was trying to look at some exact division finishes bets. The NFC North is actually not listed on where I'm looking at right now, but I do think the Vikings over three and a half division wins at plus one twenty five is speaking to me right now i would say oh, from yeah, that i mean I like, like that i mean that really takes like a sweep of one of like the packers or the bears right so that one i, I like quite a bit i also further convinced myself that the bears have the fattest right tail this could be that type of team where everyone loves watching them. They put up a bunch of points and keep eking out those wins. And they look like a Lions team of last year. I think it just speaks to Justin Fields' potential yeah. right tail outcomes as well. Because if like something does happen with the passing game, then I, I do like that quite a bit. Like if I was betting anything on the Bears, it would be some alt overs. Good stuff. Thanks for coming, Ben. This is fun. We'll see you next week. Bear down. That's the closing bell.